I cannot get over how fast any time is flying. I still, I don't know what happened really to every day I wake up. I think, well, it was March just a minute ago and now it's not. Oh, totally. Hi, Coke Scholar family and friends. Welcome to season two of The Sip, the podcast that shares a taste of the Coke scholars around the world who are igniting positive change. My name is Erica Jones, and I'm a proud 2011 Coca-Cola scholar, originally from Los Angeles, and now finishing up my final year of ministry school in Northern California. I'm an actor, a poet, a storyteller, but most importantly, a lover of people. For those of you who are listening and may not be a Coca-Cola scholar, welcome. We are glad to have you. To give you a little background, the Coca-Cola Scholars Foundation is the largest achievement-based and corporate-sponsored scholarship program in the country. Each year, it awards $20,000 to 150 high school students across the country who share a unique passion for service and leadership. It's a competitive program to get into, but once you're a Coke Scholar, the benefits go far beyond the money for college. You become a part of this bigger family for life. If you want to learn more, you can visit their website at coca-colascholarsfoundation.org. Welcome back to The Sip. In today's episode, 1992 scholar Sue Sue will be talking with 1990 scholar Jason Feldman, co-founder of Vault Health. They're going to be diving into how Jason has started a men's health company in the middle of a pandemic and how the company is helping with the COVID-19 crisis. Susu serves as the first chief people officer for Time. Before joining Time, Sue's career spanned philanthropy and public service, including jobs with the Rockefeller Foundation in New York and Bangkok, as well as with the U.S. Departments of State and Defense in Washington, D.C., New York, and Tripoli, Libya. Sue was honored to be named a 2019 Folio 100 member in the C-suite category. Outside of media, Sue serves on the boards of the Classical Theater of Harlem and Special Olympics Asia Pacific. Recently, Sue served on the board of the Coca-Cola Scholars Foundation. Sue graduated from Princeton University and Columbia University and was grateful to earn a Fulbright Award to South Korea and a Presidential Management Fellowship with the U.S. federal government. Sue will be talking with Jason Feldman, CEO and co-founder of Vault Health. After noticing that many of his male friends were reluctant to seek care for certain issues, Jason co-founded Vault Health in 2018 to provide specialized at-home care for men. Some men may be shy about seeking medical help, but Feldman's startup is getting some attention and bringing transformation to men everywhere. Earlier this year, it raised $30 million to expand its reach. The company's services include personalized treatment plans for sexual health, hair loss, prescriptions, house calls from providers, and telemedicine services. In May, the company took its at-home proposition to a whole new level, offering a federally approved at-home saliva test kit for COVID-19. Before launching Vault Health, Feldman was the head of Amazon Prime Video Direct. And there is so much more to his story, which you are about to hear. Without further ado, here are Sue and Jason. Well, I actually, you know, it was so interesting, Jason. Like, I like loved meeting you through the Coke Scholars Network, but I was like, let me just like refresh myself on your career. If you looked kind of at a glance on paper, like what your what your resume is, you might be like, wow, how did you? How does this even connect? But like something I wanted to ask you about was I feel like whether it was at 
um, like the Home Depot or Body Shop or Hanes or Amazon, like something you've always focused on is like the customer experience, like how, how you are engaging with the human who is engaging with the product or the services that you are representing. And I just feel like that to me, what's more personal than health? And for you to have landed in health, I mean, I would love just to hear how you've built on the experiences that you've had in your career and what's guided that board game. Your words are kind. My life is a board game. It's like shoots, shoots and ladders, I think. <laughs> I wish it was a bit more like Monopoly, but it's shoots and ladders. I think that for my probably, you know, young child self, it was not understanding or not being able to define it. But now at this age, at, at, at next month, 49, uh, I... Happy birthday. My, <laughs> thanks. I, I am a very mission-driven individual. I just am. And I always have been. And I remember at the youngest of young ages, I wanted to be a surgeon. That's what I wanted to be. I could remember having stuffed animals from you know being a baby that were in my room most of my childhood. And I operated on them. I, I did. I, I, I figured out a way to have a scalpel and, 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 a, and a sewing kit that I found. And I was trying to operate on them. I, I, it sounds a little masochistic now, but that's what I was doing to my stuff. I'm sure animals. they all healed beautifully. All, <laughs> they all like recovered Something. 100%. And the life that I lived didn't really go that way. I didn't become a surgeon. What I wanted to be a doctor. Uh, actually, there were two things. It was completely you know, diametrically opposed to, to, to mission driven when I also thought, well, maybe a career in Hollywood would be, would be fun too, somewhere along the way. But anyway, <laughs> and, and those two stories intersected, but they, but the idea of being mission driven was really, I wanted to do things for other people. That that's what I felt like I, I needed to do in my life. And, and then I got to 10th grade and got to geometry and figured out that that wasn't going to be my thing, but that <laughs> stuck with me. And, and what it turned into, what it really morphed into was this idea of serving others. And so that became my thing. So I found myself very quickly realizing that retail was the drug that made me feel like I could, I could really, um, I could really do something. It wasn't really where I started. That was just high school. I thought, all right, there's got to be something that I could feel like I'm doing something really great. Uh, you know, selling clothes or ice cream or the things that I did were, you know, semi-fulfilling, but I kind of started to develop that idea that if I could do something really great and make people smile, make people feel good. That was, that was awesome. So I went to school in Washington, DC and I wanted to go to George Washington university because it was right next door to the state department and right across the street from the, from the white house. And that's where I wanted to go to school. I knew it. That's where I wanted to go. And that's where I went, but I got a job. As soon as I got to school, I got a job at the state department. Uh, I was willing to do anything at all, at all. I worked for the foreign service, uh, uh, the labor union for the foreign service, right. uh, not, 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 not by choice, but it was because the first person that called me back got, you know, got me excited. And that's where I went. And I, I, I started feeling like this was going to be my thing. I was going to be in public service for the rest of my life. And I learned fortunately that that was not what I wanted to do at a young age, <laughs> but those experiences led me on and on and on through my career. And always what I found myself when I was at my peak, it was because I was doing something that felt larger than life and very mission driven. So it happened that after school, I went to uh, to go work for the Home Depot, and uh, you know I, the founders of the Home Depot were, if nothing, customer obsessed, and they would do things that were just obscene. You couldn't even imagine how they would treat customers if somebody came in and said that they had had a bad experience. You know, the company at that time would have built them a new house. I mean, it was that was the exaggeration of that was just what it was like every day. And I thought, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to be. And throughout yes. the course of my career, I've always found that. You know, my favorite, favorite, favorite job was really at uh, 
until now was really at, at L'Oreal at the body shop because it was a mission driven company that had been founded by a woman, Anita Roddick, who loved to do good and felt that the flywheel of doing good would actually do better for humanity by making money, by, you know, running a business and being successful. She had the opportunity of actually uh, being able to make a profit and then invest back into people and communities and, and, um, and causes that she cared about. And, and when I got there, the cause was stopping sex trafficking of young women and, and, and girls. And I realized I could actually make money for a business. The business was in deep distress. It needed to be turned around. And we did that, but we could also do good. And I felt like I was finally at my place. That was the moment where I thought this is what the world should be like. You get to do good, make a profit. And because you made a profit, do more good. Uh, and, and, and that sort of was, that was pivotal, pivotal for me because I recognized in myself that that mission was going to be what made me happy. So by the time I got to Amazon, which is, you know, it's the black box of all the things you think it would be. It's fascinating. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's incredibly, uh, um, you know, organized and structured, and yet it's completely off, you know, off the cliff in terms of just what imagination can, can bring to humanity if you have the money and the resources and really smart people to do it. But their mission is to just sort of dominate the world. I mean, you know, help people find better value, but at the end of the day, it wasn't a mission that really struck me. It just wasn't, it wasn't exciting for me. I mean, it was cool. And I'm a huge fan of the company and I'm a you know great customer. God knows. But (laughs) I, I just didn't feel inspired. And what I wanted was to go back into healthcare. Almost from the minute I got to Amazon, and I thought, why doesn't Amazon get into healthcare? And they're doing it now. But for the entire time I was there, I just couldn't find a way. And they were still struggling to figure it out. And so uh, I was asked to go be the uh, CEO of Jenny Craig, that was going to be my bridge into healthcare. I, I, it's funny as I think about it now. That was not going to be a good good move. But uh, but I was I was I was thinking that would be how I'd get back into healthcare and do good. And uh, fortunately, I was I was still with Amazon. I was in New York, and and somebody called me and said, "Hey, would you meet this venture capital studio? They they really want to know you. They've heard about you doing something that I was doing." And I said, no, I have zero interest. I'm, I'm moving to California. They talked me into going and having just a 45 minute hello, shake hands. I was doing it as a favor. I walked in and these people told me this idea of this business that they were creating called Vault Health. And they told me that it was going to be a men's healthcare business. And they told me that 70% of men don't get consistent healthcare and as a consequence are dying five years younger than women. And in t- and and because of cardiovascular disease, mostly that's the number one cause of death for men, which is entirely preventable. And they showed me the business plan and I laughed and I, you know, I said, I, well, I would do this in a totally different way. Guys don't go to the doctor. You have to go to guys. If you want to, if you want to take care of them, if clearly the data tells you that they don't get healthcare. So if you did it from a virtual perspective, you did it with telehealth, you go to their home and you take care of them. That'd be good. And they're like, well, that's a great idea. Would you put a plan together and share that with us? And I laughed and said, no. And I, I left. And then they called and asked me to put a plan together again. I said, we're really serious. We really thought you were great. Um, we, you know, you, you challenged what nobody else really ever challenged. Would you be willing to at least just tell us how you might do it? If nothing else, just, just tell us how you would do it. Just give us a head start. And I did. And then they said, would you just run this thing? <laughs> and, you know, a year and a half later, here we are. So here you that's, are. that's, you that's it. I'm back to my mission driven life of healthcare. That's what I'm doing. I think that I'm, you know, it's so funny. You go into meetings where the stakes are lower for you. Sometimes that's the most liberating, right? You're Thanks. like, you know what? 
I am going to speak my mind in this. And here's what I think. And I, at the end of the day, I think that's what people are looking for. They want someone with a point of view who's going to really tell it like it is. Um, and, and that's, I'm sure that's why they're like, we gotta, we gotta get this guy. You know, <laughs> they don't know um, what they bargained for. I can tell you that even to this day, my board says, Oh my gosh, what did you do? You know, we, we, this is a crazy world. And when you have, when I, I, I am obsessed about finding talent. You know, I've never in my career, no matter what I've ever done it, I am fully and, and realistically aware at all times that my successes have been at the, at the absolute uh, inspiration of others around me. Uh, the people that I find that work with me and are my partners are, are stunningly brilliant and run faster and run harder and, 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 you know, think smarter and do all the things that I am inspired by. And their efforts and inspiration are what ultimately makes me more inspired to think bigger and run harder and, you know, and, and deliver more. And that I think is what, you know, I, in, in any form of inspiration, when you're obsessed about taking care of a customer, when you can get other people to feel the same way, it's a fun place to be. It's the place you want to go every day. And so that's, that's, that's what I'm doing now. And that's what I, you know, I hope everybody in some way is able to go to work and think that, you know, I'm really, I'm really lucky to work with this person. I'm really lucky this person yes. chose to work with me. Exactly. Like, how do you honor that choice? You know, like you've chosen them, they've chosen you. I mean, how do you honor that every single moment of every day? And I think what you said about being so relentlessly obsessed about how do we help our customers feel, you know, like really like human beings. And it's always, it goes back. It's not rocket science, right? Like, how do you make people feel like you would love to be embraced and treated and respected? There were a lot of people that made it possible for me to do the cool things that I've gotten to do because they put themselves um, you know, they, they put themselves out there and, and did it on, on behalf of my leadership uh, to be great. And that was, uh, you know, that was the thing that I guess struck me as an early on point of view that as a leader, you will always be better if you bring other people along with you. Definitely. No, it's so well said. People are the greatest investment and, always. you know, everyone is a walking example of that. I mean, the Cook Scholars Foundation does that brilliantly, right? Brilliantly. I mean, just been bringing everyone together. And I, you know, it's funny in the, uh, like a few minutes ago, you mentioned that, you know what, I, I took it, I dipped a toe into public service and realized I was, you know, I was moving on to something else. But I have to say, everything that you've just said about how you show up in the world and what you do right now, I can't think of a greater public service in terms of investing in people and investing in people's health. I mean, I'd love to hear for those who are listening, um, there's a, you know, we all have our zoom background, the zoom background behind Jason right now is the coronavirus. Yeah. And it's so not a sexy background. It's definitely. Uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> and, um, and something obviously that was not your zoom background um, at the beginning of 2020, nor did you probably have a zoom background at the beginning of 2020. And so I'd love to hear more about, I mean, Vault Health, that, that mission of really serving men's health and how you've pivoted and, you know, the real strides that you've been taking. I've been watching the headlines even just this week about working with airlines and, you know, working with Aruba. So would love to hear how that journey has been. It was a, it was a, it has been a strange and surprising and pretty cool journey. I, you know, we started this company last year in, in February. Uh, I actually, it, it was, it was started in as a proof of concept, like I was describing for men's health. And then we started building what I really wanted to build, which was that healthcare platform. And by the way, you know, while men's health is something we're very passionate about and I never thought I was going to become a gynecologist, the GUI necologist, but that's kind of how we started building this business. The, um, 
the, the, what I was really interested in doing was building a platform and, and yeah. you know, platforms are, are what the world really spins on. So they're, they're durable, they're scalable. The mechanisms that are built into a platform allow you to do lots of cool things. And so that was my dream. And I said, look, gang, to the team, if we can actually do something that is scalable for men, then really women who look for healthcare will love this. So men will be the totally. Trojan horse for this business. We'll, but we're going to build a healthcare platform. So never forget while we're serving men for now, we're building a healthcare platform. So anyway, so we, uh, we, we started building this, this platform and we were only doing business in New York and we were only helping men. And then by about this time, so this is November, about this time last year, we started launching into South Florida because I thought New York is just so myopic. We're only going to do it for New Yorkers. This can't make sense. We've got to go to Florida and try this business. The website looked like from the seventies. It was so embarrassing. I mean, it was called vault. I mean, it just, it was so embarrassing. So I finally said, let's hire an agency. It's going to cost us a ton of money and we don't have a ton of money, but let's do it and let's make the brand look better. And so we did that. And between January and March, in fact, it was March 12th, uh, where we were going to relaunch oh Vault 2.0. Uh, we we made the brand you know, look like we wanted to be. We built this platform. We we built a telehealth capability. Um, we were going to be able to handle 150 visits a week. March 12th, um, we're going to launch the brand. The PR team, just to indulge me, I'd always wanted to go to the floor of the stock exchange. I had missed my chance multiple times in different iterations of my career to go to the New York Stock Exchange to be on the floor. And the PR team just because they thought it'd be a fun surprise for me, set up an interview with um, Cheddar, I think, uh, uh, on the floor Love of the exchange, it. right? So I'm going down there with my our chief medical officer and I, and we get down, we're waiting to, you know, to do our, our first interview and the market crashes. It literally crashes. So here I am, I'm ready to take my little selfie in front of the bell. It's, you know, just for fun. And the market crashes and people actually are very, very, very concerned. You can see it. I mean, visibly yes. concerned. They're saying things are swearing. This is not a good day. And this is right before COVID, you know, really kills 12 or 13,000 people in New York on the first go round. And uh, so we go back to the office and suffice it to say, we're thinking, all right, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Immediately, I stopped spending all of our money. We just don't launch the brand. Um, I quickly said to everybody, all right, we're going to launch every product we had on our roadmap for 2020. We're going to launch it all now, like now. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's pretty. Just launch it. If this is going to be a sinking ship, let's not waste any time. Bring everything from below deck on deck and let's do it. The only thing the federal government, in my estimation, did right in all of this COVID period was uh, was building a, uh, a telehealth um, capability across states where, you know, the Medicare patients mostly in this country would be able to have better access to telehealth. And so because of that, I saw what that did for deregulation and we immediately launched 34 more states. So now we're national. And I said, let's just do this. And we're going to try to figure out how we're going to make this work. And lo and behold, uh, we did that. But I was really still concerned that we were going to be able to make this business successful. Right. And so I started looking for ways that we could grow through this crisis. And I had no idea. But our friends at Rutgers University, we were working with their genomics lab on a fertility program for men. And I saw that they had a COVID test that they were developing using saliva. And I thought, this is awesome. This has got to be better than those horrible nasal pharyngeal brain ticklers that are being used. And no one in America, meantime, knows how to get a test anyway. So we, I went to them. I said, all right, we want to use our new telehealth platform to launch a testing product at home. Like everybody in America could do this at home. And they said, that would be a great idea, Jason, except the FDA just shut down all at-home testing. So you can't do that. And I said, uh, you must have misunderstood me. What I really meant to say was, I want to launch a diagnostic test prescribed by a doctor that could occur maybe at somebody's home. And they thought about it and they're like, well, that sounds better. That might get through the FDA. And so that's what we did. Uh, I then told my team, we have two choices. I went to my board and I told them, this is what I want to do. My board looked at me like I was out of my mind. 
I went to every employee in the company on a big Zoom call because at that point we were going to work from home. We New York was shutting down. And I said, here's the deal. We can do something good for the country and we can help. Unless anybody knows how to sew any PPE or make masks, this is what I got. They all started crying, saying, let's do it. Let's try to do this. I told them it's going to be really hard. We're all going to have to work nonstop because our whole 2021 roadmap is what I want to build in two weeks. And they said, let's do it. And so by the time the FDA approved uh, Rutgers to launch that test, which was on a Friday night late in the middle of April, by that Monday, we launched a national testing business. We were 43 people. Our revenue for this year might have been, if we had been successful doing what we were doing with men's health, it might have been, you know, one or $2 million. And by the way, not profitable. When we launched the testing business, nobody came. Nobody bought a test. You know why? <laughs> Everybody was in quarantine. Didn't see that one coming. Right. So I started looking around. Oh, oh this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good. And uh, about uh, three or four weeks later, I figured out that the, the PGA was in the news. They were trying to bring their golfers back. Very social distance sports. So they wanted to come back. So I said, I want to go get this, the PGA to buy tests from us. And they did. And we started working with the PGA every week. And then all of a sudden, the NHL heard about us. And they wanted to bring hockey players back to the ice. And so they started working with us. And then the MLS, the soccer leagues came. And, and they wanted to work with us. By the way, I don't even know what these sports are. I'm not a sports guy. And the next thing you know, <laughs> the NBA calls us and said, we want to get a bubble in Orlando going. Can you help us? And the NFL and the MLB. And all of a sudden, we were testing all the pro sports leagues in America. And then colleges college sport team, sports teams needed to come back and they started seeing the pro sports athletes using our test. And so they asked us, can you help us bring college sports back? And we did. And then the colleges wanted to bring kids back in August to school. And so we brought back just under a million students in August to come back to school. Meantime, you know, when I told Rutgers that we had a telehealth platform that could handle telehealth visits, we were handling baby, maybe 150 a week then back in March. By this time, we're now handling 15 to 20,000 calls a day. Unbelievable. And we started testing corporate America because they wanted to bring employees back. And the next thing you know, governors started calling and asking us to help them with their states. Well, today, in the middle of November, we're now 1,200 people and a few hundred million dollars in business. We're very humble about it. Um, we understand that we've built this business on the back of a pretty aggressively horrible pandemic, but it's taught us how to help people. It's taught us how to work at massive scale. We know that we're helping people stay safe and we know we're helping to save lives. We're helping to make sure people who don't recognize that they're sick can stay home and be safe. And likewise, we're keeping families, you know, where they need to be at home. So it's been an exciting and thrilling ride. We're very much, very much still a men's health business. And we're actually expanding now to three other kinds of businesses around healthcare because of this platform that we built. And we're going to scale to some pretty cool heights in the coming year. It's, it's really exciting. I mean, that's extraordinary, Jason. And the fact that you were able to accelerate and galvanize your team, a lot of it, I mean, going back to humans, right? It's humans who are going to make this happen to save oh, yeah. other humans oh, and really move this forward. It's extraordinary. It's and certainly think- not government. It's certainly not. This feeds my earlier point. I know at some point in my life, I'll, I'll want to go teach or go back into public service. But you know what? What I've learned in all of this is that public and private service together is far more powerful because government oftentimes, as we all know, and it's sometimes cliche, can't get out of its own way and for its own good as we're seeing now, unfortunately. But what we did learn is that when government is really pressed and when all things are desperate, what helps government do better? 
business. And business is, you know, for all the reasons we know, it's enterprising, it's about profitability, it's all of those things. But when government can do good because business can also do good and vice versa, you get results. And that is what I'm the most proud of is that we figured out how to help humanity by trying to do something for the public good together. And 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 that has to be a lesson. And I don't think that lesson will be written until one day none of us are wearing masks and finally, you know, hugging each other and doing the things we love to do before March. But for a while now, uh, we've started to learn the lesson that if we don't do this together, we're going to clearly end up in a much worse place. Definitely. And I think, you know, all of the people you've been working with, or if that's huge sports leagues or people trying to send their kids to school, I mean, it, it hits every single aspect of, of your life. And I think like, I mean, you have three kids of your own, right? And how is, how is being a dad <laughs> of teenagers during this time informed how you're approaching anything? I'm running away from them. They, 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 <laughs> they're 18 years old. I've got triplets, uh, two boys and a girl, Ben, Maddie and Sebastian. You know what happened? Actually, I was very frustrated when school, you know, back in March, um, school was, school came to a grinding halt for, you know, lots of kids. And, uh, and I put them to work. I said, well, this is just unacceptable. You're not going to stay at home and have virtual school, which clearly didn't look very real anyway. <laughs> You're going to work. You're all going to have jobs. And they're like, they're looking at me, dad, we don't have to go to school. I was like, you know, you don't have to go to school, but you are definitely going to work. And so they came to work for vault and they all have jobs. And to this day, um, it is a Saturday morning and two of them are actually at a COVID testing center in Passaic County, New Jersey. They run testing centers. They are, uh, the other one, uh, runs our state reporting operation with a, a team of people that have to report every single day. The, the millions of people that we, we test have to be reported to state and local government. And he helped build some of our systems and they actually all work for us in an aggressive way where they are having to keep up on a daily basis with not only their schoolwork now, but also their work work, because I want them to understand, first of all, there's no free ride in this house, but secondly, and I want them to have some money for college because they are getting out of here one way or another. That's amazing. When you're able to have the gift of having your children work with you in the, in the work that is so mission driven and gets you up in the morning and actually is doing social good kind of the best thing ever, right? I mean, just really being able to do that together, like serving that mission together and really helping people together. I don't think, I mean, I, I imagine this experience will stay with them for the rest of their lives. I, it's really. indelible. And you know what, if it makes them, and I think it will, if it makes them more confident people at a young age. And so, you know, I, I can only do what I can do for my own kids, but I, I, I want them, if they can't have the classroom experience, I want them to have the practical experience of being able to learn how to interact and, 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 and find ways to lead and do things that are good. And look, they're not, they're going to find their path. Life's going to be good for them one way or another. These are pretty privileged kids. They've had the ability to grow up, haven't wanted for food, haven't needed to worry about where they were going to get the next pair of shoes. These are pretty stable kids, but I really wanted them and I still want them. And on behalf of their friends who, you know, they're trying to now start to interact with. I want them all to understand that it's up to them to do better because clearly, you know, we look at our leaders today, particularly those in federal government, and it doesn't matter what politics are. It's just the way that federal government and ultimately even state government has been so stunted at figuring out how to help us get back to work, get back to school, get back to play, get back to whatever. And if we want this to change, and frankly, it isn't going to go away unless we do something 
and take a leadership role to make it change, then it's going to be up to us. And I want my kids to recognize this is the moment, whether it's it's COVID in 2020 or it's going to be something else that makes life tough, tough you know, somewhere down the road 10 years from now, that this moment where they help to make a difference is going to be the exact same situation, hopefully not COVID or another pandemic, where they will find themselves at some point, whether for themselves or for the, for the benefit of others, where they can work together to make a better place for all of us. I mean, where the world is going to be... The world is going to be okay and it's going to be a great place with oh, them be okay. leading it'll the be. way. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and now we're getting to the part of this podcast that's called the Fast Five, Jason. Right. And so, uh, so we're going to go with this. And uh, the first question is a question that when we were 17, no one was asking this question. And so I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll <laughs> and, it's, and that question is what are the two apps or websites that you can't live without? Two apps or websites I can't live without. <laughs> okay. Uh, Google, uh, for sure, uh, is one. And um, gosh, what is, I touch so many different apps. I, I, <laughs> I think uh, I think I'm going to have to say, uh, uh, this is going to make me sound so just, it's so not cool. Uh, Tableau. <laughs> this is, I'm this is, Tableau. I'm, I'm I'm data obsessed right now. I swear I am at this moment. Yeah, it's data obsession right now. I can't tableau. It's it's all about data visualization. It is. It is. I mean, it is. That is driving the world. (laughs) It's driving the world. You're super cool, Jason. Um, I love it. Um, Next question. If I looked at the music on your phone right now or wherever you keep your music compilation, what would most surprise me? I have a... <laughs> I have a secret fascination with uh with with music from other countries. I have a whole bunch of Spanish music on my on my on my phone right now and then Madonna, she's always with me. Ah, oh, I love it. Love it. Madonna <laughs> was the first um, you know, speaking of questions that we didn't have. This is a question that today's 17-year-olds don't get. Mad- like what was your first cassette tape that you bought? Madonna was my first cassette tape. She, I yeah, bought, yeah. So I had Cindy Walker. Yep, 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 yep. I remember. <laughs> I still have them. Yep. Duran Duran, oh yep. So, next question. Um, what is your favorite book or piece of music or art that has helped or inspired you in life? I, I read everything all the time. I, uh, you know, I love art in general. I just, I like culture. Um, gosh, you're asking me the toughest question of all. Like, <laughs> I'm going to put all this data in Tableau. Jason, yeah, that's what it I'm is. Gonna, and I'll, I'll see. <laughs> and I'm going to send it to you. Um, I, you know what, let's, let's, let me, can you mind if I just change the question and just tell you the most, re- of you know, course. My, I, cause, cause of I have course. to tell you when I go to look at what sort of what, what's on my phone and particularly what, what audio books and stuff I'm listening to, I just listened to Michael Eisner's um, autobiography, which huh. was pretty cool for me. I think that's what I like in general. I like reading autobiographies. I like learning from how other people see the world. I like the auto. I think autobiographies is true to your brand because you've been focused on humans and what's a greater, you know, emblem of a human story than autobiographies. So. I, I, you know, that's oh where, God. that's where I am. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm, I'm now having to check my uh, I'm also very obsessed with podcasts, too, by the way. 
Yeah. Love podcasts. And I, what's I listen your, to what's your favorite? Too. What are your, what are some of the podcasts you're listening to? Well, we actually, I have a podcast called get it up with two doctors. Right. It's about men's health. It's pretty funny, but you know, maybe some people. Yeah, I've loved that name. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, I love how it, how it's made, how, how, how it was, made. Oh, yeah. you know, and, and, and that podcast in particular was, was pretty fun for me. Also, Dave, how I built this is what it's called. Sorry. It's Guy Raz. Right, 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 right. Yep. Um, and, and David Rubenstein, who's one of my investors actually has a, has a great one on Bloomberg that's that's a lot of fun to listen to yeah. i love it one more one more of these questions and then we'll get to another one um but do you have a quote or a motto that you live by other than read all the autobiographies you can uh, that i live by you know um I, I, I do, I do have one that I really live by. It's, it's take people as you find them, like them for what they are. Don't despise them for what they aren't. Uh, I really think that when you, you know, when you, when you accept that the world is who, you know, who the world is because of the people that are in it and you don't find reasons to dislike people or hate people or, you know, criticize people, then life can be pretty happy. It's a lot less stressful when you don't find reasons to dislike the other side. Uh, and I think more now than ever. Um, and, you know, if, if great leaders really capture our loyalty by the way um, they make us feel about ourselves, then that is what I want to be able to do. So, you know, I think that's probably the one that I stand by the most. That's really well said. And if we all showed up for each other, taking people as they are and really meeting them with that empathy, I think we could go a long way. Yeah. My daughter's favorite one is everyone is entitled to her opinion. That's, that's her favorite. That's a... I'm sure there's a, there's a kid focused answer to this that would be slightly different. <laughs> um, and I, you know, and I, gosh, I, I know I'm, I'm super cheesy too. And I just feel like, but in all genuineness, um, you know, the reason we know each other and the reason we're doing this is because of the Koch Scholars Network, which is extraordinary yes. and talk about investing in people. And, you know, to you, what makes the Koch Scholars program and network in your experience? What makes that all unique? I, to this day, when I tell people what it is, you know, I say Coke, Coke gave me, my simple answer is always Coke gave me a scholarship to go to school. And people say, oh, that's nice. And I said, you know, Coke has also, and I, and I tell them the story of the number of people that I, I have in my friendship circle, that the number of Coke scholars that I've hired or gotten to work with over the course of time. Uh, in fact, my, my, my technical advisor uh, has come to work with us over the last few months at, at Vault is Wendy Adelson, another Coke scholar. She, oh my she, gosh. Yeah. Wendy and I are together it's every amazing. single day, seven days a week, uh, all hours of the day. Wendy gets to know what's going on in my brain more than any other person on earth. And likewise, I get to know what she's thinking and she helps me actually do better. Um, uh, what over, a fantastic partnership. Isn't it cool? Phenomenal. Yeah. She is phenomenal. phenomenal. And, uh, and, and, and lots of other Coke scholars over time have come to work for me or I've been able to hire them and, uh, and, and help them get their career started or give an advice or whatever. This is a network that has never ceased to amaze me. Every time another class comes out and I read their accomplishments, I think I would have never been a Coke scholar in 2020. It would have been impossible. Um, I, I can't even, I can't even half the time understand the vocabulary that comes out of these kids mouths. But you know what, what it consistently demonstrates me. And now, especially because I'm one of the, I think I'm the second class from 1990. When I look at my, my colleagues, my peers that I grew up with and, and even the classes behind and what people are doing and the fact that we know each other and the fact that people are placed in such unique 
opportunities in life, you know, jobs, um, passion projects, you know, charities, etc. I always think first, who can I call from Coke when I need to crack open something? Uh, because it'll be so much easier to pick up the phone and say, hey, this is Jason, I'm a 1990 scholar, and and I need a favor, or I need you to tell me something. I know it is an instant door opener that doesn't even cause the other end of that call, whoever it is, to question who I am. It doesn't even matter if they know who I am. It's just like, okay, a Coke scholar, I know I can help you. And it has never, ever ceased to amaze me how much faster I'm able to take care of business or friendships or whatever because of this network. It is a part of my fabric and fiber, and it is one that I am delighted. And hopefully, one of my children will eventually have a chance to maybe become a Coke scholar. We'll see. truly the exponential world changer. It really it is. is. It I is. mean, whether it's literal doors opening or now virtual doors, I mean, it, it has, I know it's changed my life and it's changed yours. And right. for everyone who's listening, um, I imagine it's changed yours in some way too. And so I just, it is such a gift to connect with you again, Jason, and really just, um, wishing you all the wind beneath your wings as you carry this work forward and continue to save lives. And I hope that, you know, if you're, if you're looking for that, for that pop, you know, for that, for that song on that. It's going to be stuck in my head all day now. Exactly. I know. I know. (laughs) Totally. And I hope that, um, you know, sometime soon that your Zoom background will turn into something that has really moved the needle forward and that everyone who is managing anything related to the coronavirus really hope that you're all taking care of yourselves and staying well and staying healthy and, um, Um, you know, really being with the ones that you love and in the best way right now. And so I just can't thank you enough, Jason, for everything that you're doing. And uh, I look forward to continuing to cheer you on. Sue, I hope we have a chance to turn the tables and I get to ask you about your thrilling, (laughs) exciting and multidimensional life at some point in the future. (laughs) Hint, hint, hint. It has been it has been my pleasure, my delight to spend a Saturday morning with you. I think it's very cool. You have humbled me again. I continue to remind myself that I'm great uh, at one thing, which is trying really hard to not blush right now because you you say too many good things. But um, I I'm grateful for your time. Thank you for sharing. And thanks for having the opportunity to, to spend some time together with me. Thanks, Jason. And thanks everyone in the Cope Scholars Network. Wishing you, you all well and happy holidays. We hope you enjoyed this episode between Sue Sue and Jason Feldman. For links to Vault Health and other things they discussed, check out our show notes or coca-colascholarsfoundation.org. And if you have an extra minute, we'd love for you to rate the show or to leave us a review. Join us in three weeks for our next episode after the holidays when 2000 scholar Kevin Shen will interview 2013 scholar Joe English the founder and executive director of Hope in a Box, a national nonprofit that helps educators create safe, welcoming, and inclusive classrooms for LGBTQ students. See you next time on The Sip, and happy holidays. (laughs) 